Do you have a website, an external presence, employees, an office? Any of these things can be compromised and attacked. How are you defending these assets? Have you penetration tested these public assets? Start 2017 by taking a proactive approach to securing your vulnerable areas. Black Hills Information Security has been helping companies find their weaknesses since 2008. Email consulting at blackhillsinfosec.com and see how they can help you sleep better at night. Welcome back, everyone, to Business Security Weekly. That's right. A couple of quick announcements. Uh, InfoSec World, March 19th through the 21st. Our listeners get 15% off using the code OS18-SW. Make sure you check Google search InfoSec World to get You'll find the registration there. All kinds of fun talks from really smart people. Um, Make sure you check out our on-demand content, securityweekly.com forward slash on-demand. There's four webcasts there. You can go get great information from uh, content that we've done in conjunction with our, our sponsors, which is uh, which is really awesome. Make sure. Uh, five webcasts there now. Uh, thank you. Uh, also, Domain Tools is doing a webcast coming up. Uh, Michael's going to be on it. I'm going to be on it. And I'm going to poo-poo logs. Like, logs are going to get... <laughs> logs are going to get the big poo-poo from me. So if you feel passionately that you get a lot out of your logs, uh, come listen to this webcast and challenge me. Securityweekly.com forward slash Domain Tools. And then I believe it's Taylor from... Uh, domain tools that'll show you uh, how to use intelligence about IPs and domains to accomplish the same goals that you're trying to get out of logs and largely failing, in my opinion. So how's that for a, a description, Michael? I liked it. I mean, it was well said. Yeah. And I'm actually going to talk to uh, talk to them a little bit later today too, and uh, go through some of the, the finer points with them. But I, I was, there were a couple pieces in there I was kind of impressed by, and uh, we're going to go through an actual attack and break it down and show you how to think about some of these things differently, which to your point, it's not all about log files. The way I look at it is it takes something you know, and let's pivot to something that maybe you don't know, but that gets you a lot more insights. And we're starting to see how people are using this to, to broad scale protect themselves uh, because attackers are smart at some things, but they're not terribly efficient at other things. And uh, if we understand and exploit that, I think we do a lot better. So it'll be fun. It'll be it, it'll be my first time getting to co-host a webinar with you. So twenty eighteen's gonna be full of firsts. It's gonna be a good year. That's it. <laughs> All right. What do you got in our articles this week, Michael? Well, you know, it's it's. I feel like just to be clear, I, I scan. I think last time I looked at my my RSS reader, I get like six hundred sources. But I find some of the best stuff keeps coming from some of the same people. So uh, yeah, uh, this is uh, from Tomas uh, again, and I swear this is another one. I, I've said it a couple times now. I'm going to have to just reach out and see if he'd be willing to jump on the show with us sometime. But it's interesting because it, the title is Managers Must Be Insane to Brainstorm in Groups. You know I'm going to read that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you know I'm just going on to it. But, but this is also equally interesting. There's a lot of science to back this up, there's been a lot of research and a lot of methods, and they can. This is one they can replicate. When you brainstorm in a group, you get less ideas, and they're not as good, consistently, and and it lays out why. So these are the things I get excited about. First one is production blocking. This is one I hadn't previously considered. So Paul, it turns out if you're brainstorming by yourself, your mind will work in parallel. You can work two, three, four ideas at the same time and kind of see where it goes. When you're as a group, can't do that. I mean, maybe you individually can, and maybe everybody else, but when you're brainstorming as a group, you all have to stay on task. And so you're single tasking it, which there are times it's really good, but for brainstorming, not so good. That was kind of a surprise to me. The other one's uh, not so not so surprising. Evaluation, apprehension, and free writing. So the evaluation, apprehension, and we've all seen this. Mm. In fact, isn't this, this is the scenario, ready? 
okay, we're going to brainstorm. There are no bad ideas, uh. no criticisms. Just get the ideas out. Somebody goes, what? Oh, that's stupid. Who thought of that idea? Oh, my God. You always say that, right? And so you get to the point where even if it's not that egregious, you're worried about what other people are going to think about you yep. or say about you. So you don't say something. And then the free riding is because you're worried about it. You're like, this is a good time for me to check my clash of clans, you know, mm-hmm. or uh, I'm going to play a little solitaire, or, you know, whatever you're going to do. And, and so, um, yeah, now, like it someone does else, will, it's the someone else will come up with a great idea kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, look, mm. as an economist, like they use the the whole, uh, you know, some of the common problems and uh, and it, it's it's neat how they did it. Now, he has some advice in there, too, which is something we do in some of our workshops, which is if you let people prepare ahead of time, like there's some neat technology you can use now. So the idea is I let everybody brainstorm on their own. And then I and what I do is, is they brainstorm on their own and then I, I collect it up and I, I, I sanitize it. But the reality is. I'm not deeply worried about that because you can figure out who everybody is pretty quick. And you share it with everybody before you come together. So now I've taken away uh, that whole production blocking problem mm-hmm. and the apprehension problem. You know what everybody's going to say. And the free riding problem because you already did the work. And then you come together as a group and you kind of work through it. Um, now, that said, I don't always do so much for brainstorming as I do for helping people identify challenges and, and work through things. But I just wanted to point out like this, this whole we got to brainstorm in groups. Yeah, no, you don't. But if you do want to come together to discuss stuff, just do the work ahead of time uh, individually, bring it together, you'll be a lot better off for it. Now, this next one is kind of interesting. Fast-growing startup teams built their sales team for long-term success. All right. I'm going to keep picking articles that have applicability. So if you're a startup, you need to pay attention to this. If you're a security person, you need to pay attention to this. You're a leader, you need to pay attention to this. You're a vendor in the space, you need to. I'm going to pick stuff that plays out for everybody. This was interesting to me, too, because it mentioned Splunk. So it used Splunk as an example, and it talked about how they made a lot of these decisions better so that they were able to do things really well. And, and you'll see that this, this fits with the next one, so it's why I kind of doubled up on, on uh, two from Harvard this week. But what they talked about was, look, we all get this uh, short-term thing. Do something, do something now. I need results now. And they were talking about it from a sales perspective. But we see this in security all the time, too. I, I want it done now. I, I'm, I'm sorry I didn't invite you guys at the beginning, but I want it, I want it done now. Now, 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 now. Uh, and so what they said was that they looked, there's three basic things you need to do and you need to really invest in to make a difference. The first one is recruiting. Uh, and this is what I thought was interesting. Uh, so we'll, we'll talk about the sales side of it for a second. They basically said, who are you targeting? And what they found with Splunk was they said, well, we went to our comp- you know, competitors or other people in the industry and we looked at the top performers and we wanted them. And I got to tell you, if you've ever worked with the sales teams, you know, it's um, let's not get into all the, the different ways of stack ranking and everything else, but there's always a couple performers that are just crushing it and they're, they're doing really well. Well, so Splunk's point was, yeah, good. I want those people on my team. Okay. Well, saying that and going and getting them are two different things. And they kind of tease that out in this article. They basically said, if you do that, then what's your investment? What's the, what's the executive team's investment and what's your investment? You're not going to throw that up on LinkedIn and hope it works out. You're going to have to find them. You have to make sure that they're a good fit, and then you're going to have to actually attract them mm. to you. By the way, Paul, doesn't that kind of work for us in security teams? I mean, if you're just going to go throw an ad up on LinkedIn like, hey, I'm hiring, do you think that works as well as I want some of the best performers? What's it going to take to get them on my team? Yeah, no, absolutely. Right? You, but yeah, you can't it, just like that spray. Takes investment. Well, much like marketing, you can't just spray and pray, right? 
Yeah, I mean, it's like some of these things are not terribly surprising. It's not like, oh, we just unlocked the mystery of the world, but it, it requires a commitment. So saying that you want it, saying I want a high performer, well, great. I mean, in sales, I understand what that means. They're exceeding their quota. They're getting a certain amount. They've got certain levels of relationships. There's a, a number of ways to take a look at it. So how do we do that in security? So that's why I said, like, if you're looking at this as a security leader today, and I actually talked to a security leader today who's, who said, you know, look, I've built a great team. But now that we're getting bigger and, and we're solving problems and we're building up our reputation, how do I retain those top folks and how do I attract new good people to the team? Yeah, great challenge. By the way, the fact as a security leader that you're thinking about that, that's awesome because, because you're going to start paying attention to it. That's going to make a total difference, which leads us into the second part, interviewing and hiring. This is something I've been around for 20 years. It's part what's just natural instinct for me, and part I'm just fascinated by it. It turns out, Paul, most most times you'd be better off playing a game of darts. Like not with the well, – actually, you know what? You'd probably be being, better off playing a game of darts with the person you're hiring, and you know, if they win, hire them. Mm -hmm. um, most of the stuff that we do for hiring, it, it's got all sorts of biases, but it turns out most people don't know. I'll tell you why. We don't know what we're hiring for. Well, Michael, I just told you it's sales, or I just I just told it's a security person. Uh, I don't even know what that means anymore. There, there's some other styles that get introduced about. Well, I got introduced to them about 20 years ago called CBI, critical behavior interviewing. Now, the idea there, you actually understand the behaviors that you're expecting in a particular situation, and because you've identified the critical behaviors, then you have the ability to identify those behaviors in your candidates when you're going through the interview process. So a couple things in this. First, most people get it wrong because they don't do the appropriate amount of diligence on both sides or the appropriate amount of training. It works better. Like it's a difference between like 50-50 and 80-20, which is a huge deal when you're hiring somebody. But what they talk about is we, we tend to like skimp this part and it's like, oh, well, I'm in security and I talked to you and you seem like a good person. Okay, cool. You're hired. And they're saying, yeah, that, that doesn't get what you, what you, where you want to be. So again, what's your investment? Are you spending the time to figure out how this works? And what we're starting to see, and it had a good point in the article, some of these things are getting cheaper. Like, do do what does the application process look like? What are you testing for? You know, I had a conversation one time with a a, pilot, a helicopter pilot in the military, and he told me that the the application, the aptitude test for helicopter pilots, it was a joke. And I I looked at him and I said, but it was a joke because you were selected, right? Like, wasn't that a bit of a selection mechanism for a helicopter pilot? And he kind of got this sly smile and he goes, yeah, I guess it was. That's interesting. So like, because we did stuff a certain way, I, like, I said, well, did it seem like the other people selected? He goes, all right, I see your point. It doesn't have to be super sophisticated, but, but do you know why you're doing the things you're doing? Do you know what you're looking for? Do you know how to assess them in people? I'm a big fan of like these these trial periods and stuff. But remember, we covered this a couple uh, weeks ago. I don't remember the episode offhand. It was I think it was Buffer said, okay, we we've shifted it up a little bit. We still give people a trial, but we do certain things instantly. We on ramp this way, whatever. Yeah, those are investments. How do we do that today for the most security teams? I mean, this was my greeting. Ready? Hey, welcome to the security team. Don't f it up because when you do, the world's gonna crash on your head. When mm -hmm. you do a good job. Whatever, dude. Get used to nobody paying attention. All right. Well, don't screw up. Have a good day. That that was my whole pep talk. That was my welcome to the security team talk. Right? It's it's. Um, I think we can do better there. Last part's training and development. Um, I mean, obviously, we've already talked about uh, our partner, ITPro.TV, but there are other ways to do training and development. What are you investing in your team, and and what do they need to know, and and what do you want them to know, and are, are you 
catering to their needs. That's how you're going to retain people, right? You know, I, I get it. We always look at money, and and one of the things we think in our industry is that if we just paid people more money, uh, they'd be happier. No, they'll keep jumping around. What keeps people? They like the leadership that they're working for. They feel that their voice is heard, and they feel that they're growing as a person. They that their voice is heard extends into they believe in the purpose that we're excited about the things that we're doing. And oh, and oh, by the way, I'm growing. I'm getting these opportunities to grow. So just, you know, you can do that to build up your sales team. So I think it's really important if you're in that role. But if you're just looking at building up your security team, these same principles absolutely apply. Anything here stand out? I gave it a pretty thorough covering, I guess. Yeah, uh, we're, we're good. Next story. I do, I do, job, I do a lot of, you know, I do a lot of prep on this stuff. Like I, I go back, I reread it. I try to think about some stuff on this. All right. Well, so this, the real reasons companies are so focused on the short term. I don't think this is a terrible surprise for anybody. Um, and so again, I looked at this one and it, it talked about, okay, well, if you want to change that problem, you've got to look at how you change the organization. And most of the way that the organizations change is they just, they plead like, please, please, please take the long view or they try to change incentives, right? So they, they muck with CEO pay or other types of things. And it's not really working out. So as I'm reading this, I'm going, oh man, this totally fits the way that we're looking at security leadership today. Uh, first one is beware the, the hidden cost of the outside leadership. And and I, I, I paraphrase it, embrace the value of domain leadership. What they're suggesting here is what, what it really comes down to is what they've looked at is, is the role of R&D. Now, Paul, we cover this a lot on this program because one of the things that we've noticed is most organizations have essentially shifted R&D off their balance sheets. And that's what the startup ecosystem covers. And we've seen that no place more prevalent than security. What this, what this article argues, I think fairly successfully, is the companies that continue to invest in the research, not so much development, but the research, they tend to do better. And it gave all sorts of stats on it. So what it said was, we like this idea of I'm going to bring somebody in from the outside. They're going to have fresh eyes and they're going to shake it up. They said, yeah, but that's got costs because those fresh eyes are going to see new problems. They're going to want a new system. You know, you know, I've talked about this with some of our guests over the last year or so. What's the cost of rip and replace? I got to learn a new set of tools. I got new processes. I create new friction. I have all sorts of new stuff. And so I, I looked at that in terms of, do I always want to bring a CISO in from outside? No, maybe not. That domain knowledge, like not just do they know security, but do they know our business? Do they know our environment? That might be your bigger advantage. What do you think about that? Should, I mean, because you know, we've talked about it before. Let's stand a security part. Do you think it's important for a CISO to have domain knowledge in security or do they, or how deep maybe, I guess, is a better question? I think it, it largely, there are so many factors that play into that, uh, Michael, in, in terms of what organization you're a CISO of, what your management style is, who you have on your team. I, I don't think there's a definitive answer for like what level of security knowledge a, a CISO needs because it I think it varies so too greatly from position to position um, based on how how your team is. I mean, there are, for example, larger enterprises that have very small security teams and do a lot of uh, outsourcing. There are some enterprises that have very large security teams. Um, if you have a really deep bench in your security team, you may not need to have as deep a knowledge if you have a team that you trust that can communicate, right? So I, I think it varies greatly. Yeah, you know, I think it's well said. If you remember, we did an article a couple weeks ago too where we talked about startups that have good technical expertise tend to do better than people who just have the business expertise. But what you really need is a blend of both. 
I kind of think the same thing applies here too. But so what I was pointing out was you need some sort of domain knowledge. I'm not sure it needs to be completely extensive, but we don't always need to hire from outside. Second thing is come up. Um, oh, I, I, uh, looks like I typed this wrong. It, it's think about re-centralizing instead of decentralizing. I thought this was really interesting in terms of both looking at research and development and looking at how we do stuff with security. The idea in research and development is don't decentralize it, centralize it, re-centralize it, bring it back together and give yourself that ability to, I'll use my phrasing, purposely cross-pollinate. I think that fits here too when it comes to security team because I've looked at, you know, should we be centralized or decentralized or a hybrid model? And I, I think the answer is yes. Uh, and as we just said, I, th I think it's nuanced based on the organization. But I'm starting to understand where depending on how you approach it, having a centralized security team, if you've got the right relationships across the organization, I think it's a good play. And I just looking at it in the context of research and development made sense. Let me make the next point, and then I want your take on it. it said emphasize research over development, and then it specifically talked about early stage technology. Here's why I started thinking about it, Paul. If we were able to better centralize some of the security team and some of those functions, but had good visibility and, uh, let's say, penetration or relationships with the rest of the organization, and we got a better sense of the problems that they were trying to solve, broader than just security or, you know, I don't like passwords, then our teams could actually start looking at some of those early stage technologies, the types that we showcase on this program, and they could kick the tires and they could evaluate them and they could provide some summaries and some insights to the rest of the organization. And I thought, you know, that's actually kind of interesting. I, I think there's an angle here that your research and development doesn't so much need to be in-house big budget items as are you at least paying attention to early stage solutions to the problems that you face? So I thought that was kind of interesting uh, as a way to to get a little bit more longer term, but still make some pretty good short term plays. How do you think this translates out into security? Then I mean, do you have a I think it, you, what what you just described was uh, when we did the interview with Jim Routh uh, from Aetna? Yeah, it's exactly how. I, were you on that interview? You might have been on. Yeah, that. yeah, it was a great interview. Right, yeah. that's exactly what Jim talked about. He's like, hey, we work with the other teams in the organization. We centralize. We bring people in and have a larger IT security and security team than than most. And oh, by the way, we evaluate all kinds of new stuff all the time and do lots of research. So I think that's a, a winning formula, certainly for Jim and his team at Aetna, that I believe it could be a model that lots of other organizations follow. Yeah, so you know, I feel like that might end up being a segment for us at some point, mm -hmm. looking at that. So those of you listening, if, if that's a model you've pursued and it hasn't worked, you've pursued it, it's totally worked, whatever, you, you reach out to us, let us know. And, um, you know, minimally, I'm happy to hop on the phone and chat with you about it. But um, let's uh, let's see where we can go with that. All right. Breaking bad business habits. So it's the same kind of a concept. But what was interesting about this, so this is taking a look at a book. And it, and it, it opens up a pretty good story about, uh, and it's funny because when I used to live outside of New York City, this, this was the thing, right? You got two, three papers delivered in the morning and you sat on the train and you tried to figure out how to, you know, do the origami and get them folded so you could get to the right number of columns and read it, you know, without pissing everybody else off around you. And it said, okay, so somebody said, well, why? Why do they do it that way? Turns out it's traced back to a tax in the 1700s on a number of pages printed. So the way people got around it was they printed bigger 
pages. Mm. It's not cost effective. It's not even smart. Pissed everybody off. And so one of the newspapers tried an experiment where they said, all right, well, you buy it the regular way or you can buy a smaller one. It's half the size. Set up for the way that you want it. And oh, lo and behold, it outsold it like two to one or three to one. What it goes on to say then is how many of these bad practices do you have in your organization and you don't even know why they got started? And we've seen this in security all the time. Why do you do it that way? I don't know. It was that way when I got here. Okay. Well, why are you still doing it? It's kind of funny when you just reminded me of a story when before my wife and I had kids and there was such a thing as an actual paper that you would read, which I don't read today. <laughs> it would drive her nuts because like you said, you're like opening the paper and like rustling it and folding it, you know, trying to get to the point and, and that would just annoy the crap out of her. Similarly yeah. to the way that if I take my iced coffee and I swirl it around to get the, the coffee the cold clinking. and it makes that clinking, jiggling ice noise, <laughs> that annoys the crap out of her as well. So if I had an iced coffee with the paper in the in the morning, oh, my wife would, like wanted to stab me in the eye with a fork even more so than, than normal. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, so it's interesting. So uh, here's what I like is they, first of all, in the article, they're like, he spends the first third of the book uh, falling in love with or admiring the problem. I was like, yes, yes. <laughs> like, we need more of that. Fall in love with the problem publicly. Like I, I like that. People think that that's a negative. It's not. It's such a positive. Now, the two things here I thought were really interesting. It said um, reverse benchmarking. So instead of saying, why are we doing it? Ask this really simple question: What would happen if we stopped? Mm. Don't don't worry about what everybody else is doing, what everybody else is thinking, or just go. If I stop doing this, what happens? I, by the way, I love that question. It it fits into some of the stuff that that we've done in some other places. Uh, so it, it's a great question to ask. And if the answer is I don't know, I mean, right? Long long joke in security is if you don't know who owns the data, unplug the server, see who screams. Uh, and then it always came with an asterisk. Of, by the way, that might end your career. I'm not saying do that. What I'm saying is ask the question. See if you can figure it out. Because, man, we do a lot of just dumb stuff that doesn't doesn't make sense. And then the surprise it had, and this linked to another article, sometimes you should change just for the sake of change. Like the, the, the point is culture and organizational behavior is a, is a never-ending journey. Sometimes change just because you can, just because you should. Don't change because it makes sense. Don't change because the numbers added up. Don't change because you got to respond to something. Change. That that felt counterintuitive to me. So I haven't read the extra, the follow-on yet. I grabbed it uh, today during the prep to to go through it a little bit more. But it's an interesting concept. Like, because if you think about it, Paul, right? You and I have come across people like, oh, I love change. I thrive on change. No. Biologically, you don't. Biologically, we're wired to resist change. Mm. Nobody really thrives on it the way we all pretend. Some of us just do better at it than others. Um, I used to pretend I was always really good at change. What I realized in life is, yeah, I can be, but man, it costs me a lot of energy. Like I, I'm good being a little bit more stable, at least as I got older. Um, so I just I thought it was interesting. Any thoughts on that? Like changing just for the sake of changing? I'm I'm stuck on the next story, and now I have the song. Stuck in More my than head. a feeling. Yeah, hooked <laughs> on a feeling. Yeah. <laughs> and then, well, then so, I, for some reason, my brain went to hooked on a feeling. I, I don't know. Yeah. Is it more than a feeling? Are we hooked on a feeling? What is going on with this, this story, Michael? We're, it's our it's our feeling episode. Um, it, well, so you know what caught me on this was it was about delivering business value. Uh, and then what they looked at was they said, right, well, here's ten design practices. And so what it goes into is this concept of design thinking. It is not a new concept. It got introduced in the '60s. And what it points out is some people get it right, Apple, Google, mm-hmm. Amazon. Some people get it wrong. That's a longer list. 
Uh, and it's something I've started to see pop up in security more and more, and I think we can learn from it. But what it basically points out is it's it's kind of like other things we've said today. It's not hand-waving, oh, we employ design thinking here. Really? What does that even mean? What they said, and the three things that I, I pulled out of it were design's not just a department. It's not just a function. Um, and, and so one of the things that they – and they go break these down. These are the three high levels. They were pretty good for me. Um, design, it's more than a department. It's not not just a function, but they talked about like embedding the teams or service. So it's go back up to the store. We talked about, you know, should you decentralize? Should you go support other people? If the answer is yes, okay, well, same kind of concept here. Uh, design's more than a phase. It's not it's not a single phase you go through. There's a number of things you do. You do them consistently. And if you do them well, you get better results. And then rely on evidence. It's not just a it feels good, it looks good, I like it, like measure it. So especially when you're looking at design, right? Because we talked earlier about category design. So if you're looking at like UX, for example, user experience and, and design of what that flow is going to be like, well, go measure it. Did people do what you thought they were going to do? And did they like it the way you thought they would like it? Don't just tell me, oh, they, they said it was good. They, they gave me a thumbs up. I think that the, the ultimate in design, Michael, is if the person hates the company and hates the product, but still uses it because <laughs> it has measure. the greatest design. And I think there's measure. so many people I know that have an Apple uh, iPhone and they hate the company, like on the surface, they hate the company, they hate the product, but they, they still have the phone. Happy <laughs> to get the next one. Yeah, that's, that's right. a great point. And that's they'll really buy the next point. one when it comes out, even if they post on Twitter that it's so ugly, I hate it, but I, I, I bought one. <laughs> but it's awesome. Look at all these cool things I can do with it. Yeah, right. no, that makes sense. Um, all right. So in terms of the startup and the news for the week, so as we as we transition to business security weekly, we're still going to talk about startup news, because if you're in the business side of security, it's important to know who's getting funded, who's making changes, who's advancing, how those things are happening. So that those things aren't going to change. This part's not going to change. We're going to add a segment at some point. And I know some of you have been asking is about lifestyle businesses. We got some good questions on some uh the, like how to evaluate vendors. We've got some questions around how to evaluate licensing schemes and stuff. So rest assured, we're putting that into the queue and we're going to do some research on that and, and come back with a, a pretty thought out segment on some of those, as well as some other neat things that we're thinking about and getting planned, um, which is kind of also a light way to say it's lightweight week. It's first week of the year. Mm. I mean, um, other things, right? So uh, officially, um, Optive pulled the IPO, which no no shocker, and officially Sky High is now part of McAfee, right? Those mm -hmm. guys, like that covered a lot of ink this week. Didn't matter. We already talked about those things. I'll just give those a mention. The big one for the week, Barracuda Networks acquired Fishline, undisclosed amount. Now, what's cool about this is kind of twofold. We just talked about Barracuda going public. I'm sorry, going private, um, based on uh, Toma Bravo, and we said, hey, pay attention. Like, there's a reason for this. Let's go see what they start acquiring and how they put it together. Well, they didn't delay, and they acquired Fishline. So as you know, Paul, we go look at this. I can't find any funding information for Fishline. What I mean by that is I don't think they took any money. Mm. So the undisclosed – sometimes undisclosed is like, oh, you're failing. It's not going anywhere. It's not going to work out. I don't have any insider knowledge in this one. My gut instinct is this was more of like a, oh, well, there's no investors to to please or piss off. Well, screw them then. I'm not, I'm not giving out that information, um, which – feels like a tactical advantage at the moment. There's an article we linked to where basically uh, Barracuda goes into a little bit more and, and they said, okay, so here's the deal. Like we're going to start putting all these things together. And we believe that user education 
and looking at fishing and helping people is a big part of the experience. We wanted to fold it in. We liked the way they were doing it. Uh, so we'll see where it goes. Not a surprising move to me. Just the speed of it was kind of like, all right, they're they're on it, um, which doesn't shock me for even a second. That's it. That's our week. It's an interesting uh, space. The whole uh, they lump no before fish me fish labs uh, in with fish line. Uh, and yeah, I think, that seems about right. I think no before fish me and fish labs are the, the major players in that space. I feel like I'm missing someone. Uh, uh, wombat, wombat, wombat plays in that space too. Yeah, wombat's in there as well. So I, I don't know. I, I, the whole approach on the problem I think was interesting. Maybe five years ago, I think when we we look at the solutions that are out there today, Michael, I see much smarter solutions that rely much less on the end user awareness and more on actually preventing those emails from getting in. And oh, by yeah, the way, I, limiting the damage once they do get in. And I think that's a much better point of view of this problem than constantly trying to fish your users in an attempt to raise awareness and or educate them. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, this is going to surprise a lot of people that have, that have known me for a while. And, and I've got friends at almost all of these companies, people I, I respect and admire very deeply. I've never really understood the whack-a-mole approach to fishing. And, and the question I've been asking for years is, but, but why can't we just do some of this technologically? I mean, so you mean that what we're going to do is take somebody who's already busy, stressed out. We know that they have an attention fatigue uh, and attention residue problems. And we're going to say, aha, you just screwed up here. Watch this video. I'm going to make it better for you. And now hopefully you won't do it again. I, I, I appreciate people can show me evidence where that works. It's counterintuitive to me. And so people go, mm -hmm. but Michael, I thought you liked educating people. Love it. Yeah. By the way, the minute you call it awareness, training and education, you suggest to me you don't understand any of them. Like awareness is not training and awareness training, it, uh, like uh, it just the whole thing, like if you really break down the nomenclature and you understand it. And we've had this conversation with people on the program. I'm not against these things. I get fishing's a problem. I get wanting to give people clever, better delivered information they want in a way they can act on it. I just feel like to your point, it's I don't think we've fallen in love with the problem properly. I think mm -hmm. we've we've described symptoms and we've elevated symptoms and then said, boom, I'm the hammer. Um, but that's not a nail. No, it's a nail. Look at it. Look at it again. It's a nail. I'm a hammer. Uh, you know, so I, the fact that Barracuda did this doesn't surprise me um, because people want this type of thing. Where I'd be really curious to see is, is, is there a unique delivery vehicle here? And can you give me insights in, in education that I want when I want it, not just related to fishing? And please stop calling it user awareness training. Please, if you do anything this year, just user awareness, I'm good with. User training, I'm good with. But training and awareness are two different functions, period. Thank you. Thanks for Agree. Well, <clears throat> thank you, Michael. And thank you, everyone, for listening and watching to this edition of Business Security Weekly. We'll see you next time.